Right. On there? Cool. Okay. All the bars floating around. I told you this upgrade was going to cause me problems. So thank you so much, Tim. Um, yes, I do feel quite brave joining this bunch. They were definitely unique. It was entirely refreshing. So, um, so yes, who knows what I'm in for the rest of today. But thank you so much for inviting me to be part of it. This grew out of a great conversation with Joe. So Joe and I did a session together a couple of weeks ago. And I started, I'd had sort of a, an experience that got me really asking these big questions around trust in HR through my role, um, particularly as um, chair of CIPD in the northeast of England. So I really got interested in this and, and Joe jumped straight on it and said, oh, this sounds very relevant to what we're talking about at our conference, maybe come along and talk about it. So thank you so much for the invite. Um, I guess for me, what, uh, you know, we are the only department, so I'm going to talk about this. So just to caveat this is I am, I've got a background in human resources along with other things. So I'm not here to diss the profession. You know, my role CIPD is here to champion the profession, but there's something not quite right. So I think for me today, it's that, um, that sort of, we carry the human in our brand that's quite tough. You know, it's like if you tell someone you're a fun person, it's quite hard. You've got to spend your time living up to it. So out we go, calling ourselves human resources. You know, we've got human in there. And, and is that always is that always something we kind of live up to? And I think that's really interesting, those poll results with the 50-50 um, the there. Um, I think what's really interesting, and Joe touched on this as she started, you know, Harvard Business Review talk about this, um, but, you know, trust is our default position. As psychologists, we see this from birth. We're, we're genetically built to trust from within hours of birth to, to look to, towards voices and experiences that, that we trust. But if it's our default position, you know, then actually sometimes it, it takes quite a bit to, to shift that trust. Um, the psychologist Doris Brothers talks about uh, the concept uh, that sort of basically presumptive trust, saying actually we go into a lot of situations and although we might think of ourselves distrustful individuals, we're not. We do actually trust an awful lot on a lot of, a lot of levels. And you can see a lot of that play out with COVID, the vaccine, you know, people saying, who do you trust, which voice do you listen to? And it's, it's not always on paper, the people who have the most knowledge or, or the people we'd, we'd absolutely um, expect to trust. So I guess for me today was about thinking about a number of things. So what I want to ask first of all is where are we? Now, I just put um, HR memes or HR press coverage in, in Google to get this. Um, for those of you, and I know a number of you work in HR, I don't know if you have sort of Googled our profession recently, but you know, not not the best stuff to pop up, and not the not the most not the most motivating. And I think one of the most um, recent was the Octopus Energy um, chief exec talking about I don't have HR, you know, and, and that sort of created a lot of discussion, and particularly in our in our HR forums about what you know what what was that about, and who was doing the job, and you know who looked after their policies and things like that. Now. You know, I think it's the, the something on, on both sides in terms of that in terms of that discussion that actually, you know, really empowered leaders and talking about the organisation that Jules was talking about. And I don't think anyone would be sat here thinking they wouldn't be desperate to work in those organisations that Jules just painted the picture of. And they probably are the organisations that have this greater blend that managers and leaders are empowered and trusted. But actually, it, it's not where a lot of our organizations are. So, you know, um, Octopus talking about something that's, that's fairly different from probably what a lot of us are used to. So even more depressing, I then put into Google, so this was last week, try it yourself, test it out, see if I'm right. I just put HR is. Um, and 
some of those terms that popped up are, are not the most positive. So I guess what I'm saying is, you know, it's, as I said, this is not about me saying HR is bad or does things wrong, but this is about how HR is being perceived. So putting HR in, you know, people probably know the HR is a breeding ground for monsters from the American Office TV show, but that was a long time ago and that's still up there. So the only positive in that top list that came up is HR is changing. Well, that's good. Uh, just, I just tried finance on the other side. So I have a lot of colleagues in, in finance, you know, and uh, finance is cool. Uh, finance is the heart of the business. Finance is lifeblood of business. So just an interesting comparator. And so I worked for a number of years in um, communications and, and marketing and thinking about that is a really different proposition. So two corporate functions and just that, that sort of broad perception is incredibly different. So what do we what do we kind of think about here? Well, I had a critical insight, and this was the one that, that led my conversations with Joe. I was interviewing a fantastic candidate for a role who needed to be able to really confidently and um, successfully engage with um, males, primarily males, because that was a demographic in operational roles out in the field who maybe didn't want to engage in some of our um, a sort of different people activities. So I asked her the question, you know, just tell me about how you would land these messages, how you would get people to open up and talk to you, it, you know, if people are quite different to yourself. And she said, well, to be perfectly honest, um, if I can just sort of say, it's not just that I'm female talking to males, I'm also a member of the BAME community, I wear a hijab, um, but to be perfectly honest, Eloise, the only thing that's ever worked against me in getting people to open up and trust me is when I tell them I work in HR. So that was my critical. So when we coach, you know, we talk about what's that critical moment of insight. That for me was a real moment of critical insight. And that happened within the last month that made me think, wow, that's that's a real quite quite a powerful thing to say. So why is that? Um, the, this lady looks slightly more suggestive than I thought when I pasted it in, but yes, she's, she's supposed to look curious and, and pondersome. But, you know, we know that trust is at an all-time low. Endelman Trust Barometer shows us that. Um, there's, a, there's a really interesting um, article about HR, so why, why is it not trusted at the moment? So um, they talked about the uh, balance, in a balanced careers article, talked very much about, you know, that um, people's perception is HR untrained. They train once and they don't grow and develop. And that grew on to the comment of HR are cave dwellers, they're lifers, they spend their career in HR, they don't know the rest of the business. Um, and also um, employees don't understand HR's role. What, what is it they do? We only see them do a few things, so, so what else is it they do? And also this claim that, well, HR don't trust people, which is, again, a very interesting sort of perception that actually is that, is that feeding into this. Um, Liz Ryan in Forbes did a great uh, article just uh, sort of grilling HR and said that employees fear HR and she again has been an HR professional so you know this is this is insight from within um, employees fear HR and actually if they could better understand the waves of positivity and negativity going back to that sort of fluid concept that Jules was talking about there actually that kind of working with that energy they'd be far more successful rather than trying to control and put reins around things. Um, and again, you know, it's it's this the, the other themes that were coming out, and this is that you know that there's a preference for the profession to prefer policy and process over people, which is strange when they're supposed to be here to work through people. You know, serve different masters, if you will, but they're they're working with with different people. And you know, we know that that the, the challenge that kept coming up is that they know very little about the business and running it. So actually, that we don't want an HR department that's full of people who've only ever done HR. 
Perry Timms, who's a really great, um, does some great, great stuff. He talked about, you know, he talks about the positive side of HR. He goes, there's so much positive stuff going on. Um, HR or those that work in, you know, our, our human resource or equivalent functions often fight for fairness. They fight for the employee experience and to make things better in organizations. But it's just not coming through and not getting across. So actually, we're not getting the impact and, um, and maybe the relationships we need. So I think now is a prime opportunity to coach the profession and really start to move them, move, move the profession on and, and think about what we need and how we do it moving forward. So how do I think we need to do that? Well, I think one way is, um, is to take a slightly different mindset to a normal HR mindset. And I think it's more of a marketing challenge. So I'll put that out there. So I'm also a silversmith. And one of the things that happens when you work with silver is the more you work with it, in the same way the harder it gets and the less malleable so you have to have to heat it back up and I think maybe in summer and sometimes some of our people functions have become quite work hardened and maybe this sort of working with this group in quite a different way is potentially something that could offer us offer us sort of new results so ultimately we choose to trust or distrust as, as human beings and as I said at the start actually our default is much more towards trust so I would say, you know, building on that, uh, building on that poll at the start, does human resources actually evaluate and understand its brand, or is it at a point where it's saying, "Yep, I know there's that, but I'm going to keep my keep my head in the sand." So, is does it understand its brand and does it understand how it's perceived in the organisation, and does that matter as much as it as much as it should? Um. I think for me, there's something really interesting about thinking if, you know, if you thought of your organizational departments and functions as your products, you know, if, you, if they were products, not, not departments, if you had an underperforming product that wasn't perceived well by your market, by your consumers, you'd be tackling it. You'd absolutely be straight on that going, hang on, we invest a lot of money in this. This costs us quite a lot. We need to think about really maximizing what we get from this, from this brand or product. And you probably all know the example of, um, you know, what Lego did in the late 90s. So Lego started going on a um, route of trying to produce really niche things. They got more and more specific. So they produced more specific figures and sets. And actually it went from, you know, so early 90s, me and my friends, we had loads of Lego. It was, you know, we created loads of things. Then it kind of went to, to kind of really, kind of really niche. And it totally declined. Sales declined right in the early noughties till they had a real kind of, um, challenge about you know can we, can we survive and what would that be and actually they were defined as less relevant at that time so what what was really interesting new chief exec 2004 said let's ask the kids what they wanted to do so actually understanding what's needed from that product and out of that came the imagine concept which so many of you'll know now now Lego, I think more than ever before, has been something that crosses generations, you know, right the way up from small children to adults that work in different ways. So it's a beautiful example of a product that nearly went that actually that actually fundamentally changed and really listened to what was needed. And I think some of that kind of thinking is a real opportunity now. And what I see that I love as a result of the pandemic. So, you know, it's all about pulling the positivity from this stuff is I think that's been a bit of an inflection point for the people profession. Particularly what I see from my HR colleagues in other organizations as well is that when HR was thrown into the gray, their policies, their processes, their ways of working, controlling things no longer worked. Actually, they got quite good 
they got creative, they got more fluid. So really capturing some of the things that Jules was talking about there, they had to, they had to work on some of those things and they had to use sort of more human behaviors to be able to be successful. So I think weirdly, I'm gonna say about bringing the human back actually encourages HR to maybe go through a bit of a process to start to really think about where they are. And, you know, this sort of, again, what Jules was talking about, you know, the mirror there, you know, I think what we can play in this is how do we start holding the mirror up for each HR department, each people function, those working in those roles, how do we stop and, and start to think, you know, you were on 50-50 there as a group of people, you know, will that be will that, will that be the same, same for all of us? And I did see someone's comment pop up saying, I hope not, that's where I work. But, you know, unless we ask the questions, unless we're really honest and step into that, uh, that, that sort of that really uncomfortable mirror, we're not going to know. So just a few tools I just want to quickly share with you that I think could be really useful in us helping coach um, and, and really explore this. So the first one is not new at all. I feel like I am, I am peddling you some, some old tat here, but I just think the power of this is, is so key because I think sometimes, weirdly, you know, when, when we talk about coaching, we can't coach on sort of, um, you know, sort of emotion or aggression and, and things like that. So actually working with these functions, it's as much about saying, okay, Let's take this mindset, let's, let's poach with pride from another function, from marketing, and let's start to think about the proposition. So I think something as simple as um, a swap, but really think about those internal and external factors and trying to pull out, you know, where are those different allegiances, where are those different um, sort of commitments and, you know, sort of things that have built over time, and maybe what's real and what's not, but, but actually getting that out and starting to work through it. I'm also a great, um, I absolutely love McKinsey's 7S. I think it's so accessible and so simple. And although it's, um, you know, sort of a slightly more strategic tool we'd use an organizational level, actually it beautifully works at so many different, different levels. And, you know, you could use this across the HR function. I've used it with teams before to really start thinking about who they are and what they do. And I think for me, um, there's something around this kind of who are the people that that make this up, you know, that who are the people delivering this. There's some really interesting, um, and I won't go too much about my psychological research, but um, Lisa De Bruyne has some really interesting research on um, morphing your face. So that actually, if you saw a face that was actually, the participants didn't know it was a version of their face. If they saw a version of their face, which they didn't know, they automatically felt greater trust. But one of the messages around that is that people need to see people who seem like them and feel like them and reflect them. And I think there's something very interesting in organisations is, does our HR function reflect our, our workforce? And I think this plays back to, do they understand the jobs? Do they understand what we do? So I think this can be a really useful one, but my particular, um, my particular sort of um, output, and this is where I think trust can really sit at the core, is really thinking about what the brand model is. Um, really sort of capturing the proposition. And I think I think thinking about our profession truly as that rather than just as a slave to many masters, you know, um, and it will see, you know, that, that Google search before it was quite a tough place to be that, you know, there needs to be that honesty and really thinking about what is it we stand for? What is it we're about? And what is it we commit to deliver? And, you know, going back to the, this kind of concept of trust that as a profession, we need to trust others to be trusted and some of my favorite um, sort of uh, tools around um, so a couple of psychologists Kramer and Mezik talk about a concept called shallow trust and they're saying start small and I really like that because they talk about small but productive behaviors that start to demonstrate 
your willingness to trust, which immediately starts to create trust back in the, in the, in the profession. And then finally, I realize I'm just powering you with, uh, with a popcorn explosion of models here, but hopefully these are like ones to take away and reflect because, you know, you, can, you probably all know this stuff, but I'm just sort of proposing it as something that matches quite well. And um, this is uh, the PR Smith model, uh, so stack, but I really like this in terms of it's not just about having these light bulb moments, these insights going, yes, this is, this is absolutely what it needs to be. And this is probably my HR coming through it then about going back, how do we actually make this happen and, and really understand and, and learn from it? So, you know, from the where are we, the situation analysis to where we want to be, how we're going to get there, what is it we're going to do? And actually, how do we monitor that performance, but the performance of us and us being the brand and, and us being the impact we're, um, we're going, to, uh, going to see? So there's a great, it's a great version of this. And, and David Chaffee's done a beautifully extended version of this, which has got some really nice questions and usable tools on the back of it. So in terms of thinking about transforming the reputation of HR, that real, that work about that clear branding and being human, but then developing your proposition is absolutely key. It's about thinking back to the human at every point. How will this land? How will we be seen as, as human? And, and how do we make sure we bring that right to the fore? It's around some of those very practical things about being consistent, being collaborative, being supportive, but also really using that, that insight to support. So in summary, this, as I say, this is not a judgment of HR, but rather HR's ability to understand its current position and be quite honest about what is cold, hard fact that's out there. Um, I think it's a seismic shift time um, for the people profession as we talk about these aspirational organizations that Jules has beautifully captured. You know, this is, are we, are we gonna be part of that? And how are we gonna be part of that? And what is, the, what is our role gonna be? Will we exist in 10 years? And if we won't, what will exist? Because there are those, those people warriors, those people are absolutely kind of committed to where we be. Um, and I think for me, it's about how do we help the profession both bring their human to work, but encourage others to be human and, and, and endorse that it's okay to be human and actually we're all better for it. Thank you very much.